Hey everybody, it is Thursday, March 19th, 2020, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelik, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, on today's show, well, you know, we're all kind of dealing with whatever, so as best I can, we're going to cover some recent news stories, some things that I think are a little bit interesting to just kind of observe uh, about where the industry is at, and... Uh, you know, talk at least a car or two a little more in depth. So we'll just head straight into things. Uh, Wednesday night, we had the launch of the 2021 Hyundai Elantra streamed online. Uh, the Elantra was meant to be uh, launched ahead of the New York Auto Show, which would be happening, I think, in the next two weeks if the world was anywhere close to normal. Uh, more or less, the Elantra is exactly what we thought it was going to be. It's Hyundai trying to keep up with the Joneses in terms of uh, Toyota and Honda and the Toyota Corolla and, to a greater extent, the Sentra being the most recent uh, entries into the compact sedan market. Uh, Hyundai is basically taking what they've learned from the Sonata, what they've learned from the new Optima, what they've learned from the Seltos, uh, and so many other recent vehicles, and they're turning it... Uh, well, they're, they're just making a new uh, compact car. So this new Elantra is based on an all-new platform. It's called the K-Platform in their lineup. I believe they're calling the car a KD, if I remember correctly. Uh, this new Elantra is uh, lower in terms of height. It's longer in overall length. Uh, this actually is going to end up making the car one of the largest in terms of interior volume uh, in its class. I think only the Nissan Sentra comes close, uh, but the car is really aimed squarely at the Toyota Corolla. Uh, not only are they launching a really, uh, what appears to be solidly manufactured gasoline-powered car uh, as the main vehicle with one engine option, one transmission option for now, uh, they're also going to be rolling out an all-new hybrid model that takes what Hyundai has learned from the uh, Ionic, uh, from the Sonata, and to a great extent, knowledge from Kia on the uh, Nero and several other of their vehicles and rolling it into this package because they want to make a hybrid option that's available for a reasonable, reasonable amount of money that is eventually going to be class-leading in its overall fuel economy. Uh, Hyundai really seems to know what they want to do with this thing. Uh, they're talking about design elements being focused around the idea of triangles, because triangles are something that are not used all that often. They're viewed as a faux pas in terms of car design, uh, but triangles being a little more popular in terms of fashion and other design work right now, they're going, well, you know, hey, maybe the kids will like it. They're really honing in on the idea that this is going to be a car designed for millennials and Gen Z buyers because Hyundai is realizing more and more and more that that segment of buyer is largely being ignored. Uh, they're taking a look at what, you know, for example, what Ford is doing. All of them are offering just crossovers. They're more expensive. They're less fuel efficient. Uh, and in the end, they're just not what people really want. Yes, they're practical, uh, but most people are used to driving cars. Most people don't want to pay the extra money to get a larger vehicle. So Hyundai is going to offer something that, well, has most of that. Uh, this new model is going to feature, I mean, Obviously, it's on a whole new platform. It's all new sheet metal. Uh, the triangle thing that they're really kind of honing in on is some of the look, at least with the grill, uh, the shape of the lights. There are these 
what I can only refer to as triangle stamped metal pieces on the doors. Uh, that look is maybe a bit controversial for some folks. Uh, I think it looks pretty interesting. I'm curious to know if it's going to be one of those visual tricks where it's a slight little bit of folded metal, but it's not really quite as pronounced. They're using tricks of light uh, for it to look more pronounced than what it actually is. Uh, if that's the case, that's a very neat thing being done by Hyundai. But I'm also curious to know that if you do get a dent or a scratch in the door, uh, how difficult it would be to repair. Uh, moving to the inside, it's taking a lot of the design language that's been developed by the new uh, K5, the Optima in Europe from Kia, as well as the new Sonata and applying it to this vehicle. Uh, obviously it being a Hyundai, it's got a lot more of the Hyundai design language overall. It's got the big kind of oval shaped steering wheel with lots of buttons on it. I'm not a huge fan of the look of that wheel, but it's not that bad. Uh, but the dash reminds me a lot more of the K5 Optima that's releasing in Korea right now, which I think overall is a very good looking way to do the interior. Uh, the one fancy thing that they're saying that they're going to be doing that nobody else is going to offer in this class right now is a full digital dash cluster where you have a piece of glass uh, that goes from just behind the driver's wheel, you know, where the instrument cluster would be, all the way across to the infotainment system. I believe the dashboard behind the steering wheel is something like a eight inch eight inch display, eight or ten inch display, uh, and then the uh, infotainment system is going to be a ten and a quarter inch display. So it's the same one that's in you know the Telluride, uh, the new Seltos, all those different kinds of things uh, in this new Elantra. Overall, they're saying, you know, prices aren't going to really increase much. Uh, fuel economy is going to be class leading both in the regular sedan and in the hybrid. I think they're saying the hybrid is going to be as much as like a 52 mile per gallon average, which is really astounding considering how many good things you're going to get inside the car. Uh, the regular sedan, they're saying it's going to be in the upper 30s, maybe even in the low 40s, depending on uh, what kind of driving you're doing. So it's going to be a very efficient car. Uh, but them only offering one engine, which is a 2-liter inline-4 with the IVT automatic. It's basically the same powertrain from the uh, Seltos, the front-wheel drive Seltos. Uh, I think in the end, you're just going to kind of see that, well, you know, it's enough. Uh, that's really the key takeaway here is that Hyundai is not trying to go into crazy turbocharged, you know, engine setups like what Honda runs, uh, but at the same time, they're not trying to make too safe of a decision like what Toyota does, where you end up with these two, uh, gasoline engines that give you radically different performance. Um, I think it's a really smart way to go. I'm really interested to see where prices get to on this thing. Uh, you know, really, I think they're going to start probably just under 20 grand. I think you're probably looking at 23 or 24 grand to get a lot of quote unquote luxury uh, options added to it. Things like leather or leatherette seats, heated seats, uh, the big touch screen, things like that. Um, fully loaded, every option box ticked. You're probably looking at about 28 grand, maybe. Um, and I'm curious to know how much of the typical Hyundai, which goes a step further or more than what a lot of other brands do in terms of content, uh, how much you do get in that top trim Elantra. Uh, there's still going to be a lot more news coming out about the car, um, but we're not expecting to see it until fall of 2021. Uh, so we'll see what ends up happening there. Uh, one other little bit of news today that's kind of coming out, uh, at least in terms about a car directly, 
And this might not exactly be news, it sounds like that there has been some developments on what's going on with the next-gen Toyota Land Cruiser and Lexus GX, or not the GX, it'd be the LX, I guess. Uh, the Land Cruiser's due for a replacement. The 2020 model year is the last year for the United States uh, for the 200 series Land Cruisers. It's a big luxury truck that I love quite a bit. Uh, it's definitely one of the best off-road performing vehicles that you can buy for money, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, you know, altogether, it's it's the bee's knees, in my opinion. And it going away, you know, is a little bit disappointing. That being said, the current Land Cruiser's been around for more than a decade. Uh, it's had some upgrades here and there in terms of uh, engine and transmission and some infotainment things. But for the most part, not much has changed. Uh, this whole new one is going to be built on an all-new chassis in Japan. It's still going to be a ladder frame construction. So it's going to articulate, it's going to bend and twist. It's going to do all of the off-road things that you want it to do. However, uh, it sounds like that we are going to be losing the V8 power plant for 2022. Uh, what exactly it's going to get replaced with uh, seems to be up in the air. Uh, the current indication right now seems to be that it is going to be borrowing a twin-turbo V6 from the Lexus Group uh, to power the Land Cruiser. Uh, this unit would be a 3.4-liter twin-turbo V6 that the LS is using. Uh, this engine produces about 440-ish horsepower and would have about 440 pound-feet of torque. Uh, difficult to say if that's going to be affected too much by being in a, such a large vehicle uh, in any kind of different capacity, you know, in terms of exhaust and air intakes and things like that. But, you know, a fat torque curve is always appreciated. Uh, I'm surprised that the engine is so small. Uh, I would have thought that they would have gone with something a little bit bigger. Uh, the key indication with this, too, is going to be whether or not this twin-turbo V6 is going to be the new powertrain for the new Tundra uh, and Sequoia, as well as the Lexus GX. Uh, it seems to me that the 4.7-liter V8 is not long for this world in terms of the GX, uh, and the 5.7-liter V8 for, well, the rest of the Toyota lineup uh, probably won't be going on too much longer either. Uh, that 5.7-liter V8, you know, was a pretty big ballsy move by Toyota. It's a very well-regarded engine. There's many different examples of this unit going a million miles plus. Uh, they're great powertrains, but if they're going to be removing it from their flagship vehicle, uh, that probably doesn't hold up too well for the rest of the lineup. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, but uh, Land Cruiser, you know, I'm excited to see what the next-gen version is going to look like. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, what if that changes significantly, how those changes kind of cascade down the lineup, uh, because we are due for a new Tundra, a new Sequoia, uh, and eventually a new uh, Taco, a new Tacoma in the not-too-distant future as well. Now to slightly more serious news, obviously we've got the whole COVID crisis going on, people are sick, uh, people are staying home, myself included, it's, uh, it's an interesting time to be out there. Uh, there's been a whole lot going on in terms of uh, the UAW shutting down automotive plants in uh, cooperation with GM, uh, Chrysler, and Ford. That seems to be largely happening after Honda had made the move to shut down all of their North American assembly plants. Uh, but it isn't happening in every corner of the country. Uh, Tesla is currently fighting shutdown of their plant in California. Uh, they claim that they have special permission from the federal government to stay open, which doesn't seem entirely clear 
how that works because the county and the city want them to shut down. Who knows what's going to happen? The key takeaway there is that uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, they want to stay open because they're trying to deliver the new Model Y crossovers as fast as they can. These people paid money. They're waiting. They're going to get upset. It's going to impact the stock price. Stocks are already bad. Ah, da, 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 da. It goes on and on and on. So it sounds like Tesla will be staying open as a production facility in the meantime. But here in Michigan, everything is closed. Things in Ohio are closed. It sounds like things will be closing down south for a lot of other companies as well. Uh, certain other plants have been idled ahead of this uh, just because of production constraints due to what comes out of China and Korea. It's a big mess because the other thing is, what are we going to be doing with this kind of production capacity? Uh, it was announced today that Ford and GM are in talks with uh, the federal government to potentially produce uh, necessary equipment for well, all of us here in the United States and potentially further on uh, as needed. This would be the first time that the Defense Manufacturing Act, I'm totally forgetting what the full name of it is, uh, has been enacted since World War II. So it's a pretty big deal when these car makers are looking to shift their production focus from automobiles to other things. In this case, here in the U.S., it sounds like it's ventilators is the major concern, so they want to be able to build as many of those as fast as possible. Um, there's a lot of other companies who are saying that they can flip the switch to help manufacture some bits and bobs of those. Uh, but, you know, we're still looking at a three plus week window until those machines would be able to be delivered. And whether or not that's enough time to really do anything, uh, who knows? We are deep, 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 deep in uncharted water right now. Who knows what the economy will even do, even look like after all this uh, settles because, you know, in the end, people like me don't have a job right now. Uh, having been unemployed for a while, working part-time to kind of fill that gap, uh, my part-time job shut down at the end of last week. Uh, they pulled the plug on movie theaters, and they will be pulled for quite some time. Uh, other people I know are working from home for now, but whether or not they have the same kind of working situation after this whole uh, thing is done... It's kind of tough to say. And, you know, if there are people in your family or your neighbors or your friends that are passing away, again, you know, how likely is it that you're shopping for a new car? How likely is it that you're shopping for new car accessories? How likely is it right now that you're taking your car to the car shop to get repaired? How likely is it that you're gassing up your car? How likely is it that you're even driving your car at all right now? And right now, everyone's just kind of in a holding pattern. I have a feeling that by the end of this week, sometime next week, I think people will have a better idea of what's going on, what they can do to normalize their situation. Uh, I think we might have a better idea of where things are headed here in the U.S., but I think for at least the meantime, uh, a lot of big questions about what's going to happen come June, July, August, uh, if the economy doesn't pick up in a much more... Uh, substantial way. So yeah, that's about it for the weird, zany, crazy news that's going on. It's a slow time just because everybody is so focused on the coronavirus uh, scenario. And, you know, that that's okay, I, I think. It's one of those things where the big scary thing is probably good to be focused on and to be talking about and trying to fix instead of just batting around weird car shit. 
But I guess this is the time of the show when I do bat around some weird car shit. So, uh, hey, the new Chevy Trailblazer is going to be hitting dealerships right about now. Perfect timing, of course, on behalf of General Motors. Nevertheless, uh, we are seeing, well, a better idea of what pricing looks like, what packaging looks like. Uh, and in the end, you know, I, I have to say that I'm my interest is peaked. Uh, I've talked about it on the show about how much... I like the idea of the new Kia Seltos. It's a, a crossover that seems to be right-sized, uh, priced appropriately. Uh, equipment is very good. And uh, this new, not quite subcompact, but not quite compact crossover segment seems to be the one that's going to be exploding with the greatest amount of attention in the next, uh, well, seeming months, potentially years. Uh, we're talking about you know, things like the Seltos, uh, to some extent, the Kona, the Trailblazer, the new Bronco Sport, uh, so many other ones, they're all going to kind of compete around this same little spot. And the Trailblazer really seems to have its uh, sights set on the Seltos to some extent. Uh, the Seltos and the Trailblazer are price, or excuse me, are sized almost exactly the same. Uh, to me, the Trailblazer seems like it's a little bit smaller on the exterior overall. It doesn't seem quite as big as its platform mate, the Buick Encore GX. Uh, inside, it's tough to tell. Each of the Trailblazers that I've seen so far have been locked up and not available to sit in. Uh, the Seltos itself, I think, is spaced pretty nicely in the interior. Uh, the rear seat legroom maybe is a little tight for some people, but I think in most situations for the kind of buyers that they're looking for, uh, it's gonna probably be couples who probably fold down the rear seats anyway to do stuff, and I think it's going to be more than fine. Uh, the Chevy, you know, has the advantage of, well, being a GM product. It's going to have a lot of uh, trickle-down bits and bobs from other vehicles that uh, keep its price eh, somewhat level-headed. Uh, comparing trims from the L on up to the RS, uh, comparing it directly to the Seltos, you're looking at about a $1,300 price difference. Some trims, it's a little bit narrower. Uh, other ones, it's a little bit more. Kia only offers the Seltos in front-wheel drive primarily in one trim uh, versus all the trims for the Trailblazer have an available uh, front-wheel drive setup. All-wheel drive on the Seltos is standard in pretty much everything else. It is a fairly pricey option in the Chevy. I think it's like $1,100, $1,200, $1,500. Not exactly, you know, groundbreaking in terms of price, but uh, it bumps things up a bit. The other thing is that the Kia only comes with, well, I guess they have two different engines. Uh, the Chevy also offers two different engines. Uh, but at least in terms of the Kia, it's two four-cylinders uh, to kind of keep costs down. Uh, they're related to other products within the Kia and Hyundai lineup. Uh, so presumably they're going to be quite reliable versus Chevrolet, who's offering two three-cylinder engines uh, that this is their first run. We don't really know a whole lot about what these powertrains will be like. Obviously, they're used in the Buick Encore GX as well, but, you know, again, this is the first time through. So just kind of comparing, you know, dollar for dollar, trim for trim, uh, something like a Trailblazer LT with the leatherette seats, uh, heated stuff, you know, the infotainment system boxes all checked, uh, you're looking at about $29-ish thousand uh, before any regional incentives. 
just the same kind of trim on a, uh, excuse me, a Seltos is going to run you a little over 27 So it's, again, it's about that thousand to $1,500 price difference, model to model, trim to trim, that's going to be there. It sounds to me, at least based on early reviews that I've seen coming out of Korea for the new Trailblazer, is that it does ride and drive quite well. Uh, that's a good thing because GMs aren't always tuned for that. Uh, just the same, they're saying that a lot of the equipment that you're getting in, the, in them are pretty good, which isn't always the case in some of the Kias, especially the lower trim ones. Uh, I'd be curious to know who's got a better all-wheel drive system in certain scenarios. Uh, I think based on the track record that Kia and Hyundai have had with their lockable all-wheel drive system, it's probably going to be a little bit better overall. But whether or not the CVT or the twin clutch automatic with the turbocharger does or doesn't do well compared to GM's regular conventional automatic with the turbo three-cylinder, uh, I don't know. It's going to kind of come down to traction control, engine management, things like that. Uh, I think in terms of looks, you know, you're kind of looking at about the same. I guess it kind of determine or kind of depends on you know what you think is more attractive. The Chevy looks like it's much larger Blazer sibling, uh, which I openly admit is one of the best looking crossovers on sale today, uh, but is also one of the most frustrating ones in terms of pricing and packaging. Uh, on the flip side, I think the Seltos is one of the most compelling vehicles in terms of packaging uh, and pricing. Looks-wise, I think it looks fine. It's not the best-looking thing on the road, but, you know, it's pretty damn good. Uh, I know, it's a case-by-case -case thing. I, I, I think I could honestly go either way. It's probably really going to come down to, you know, what rides better, what's quieter, uh, and what kind of deals you're going to get. And I think right now, given the situation that we're, we're in economically, I think both GM and Hyundai Kia are going to be slapping some pretty big, pretty big incentives on these vehicles uh, in the not too distant future. So it's going to be an interesting comparison to be having uh, as the year goes on. I'm hoping once everything blows over, I have an opportunity to go drive each back to back uh, because I'm genuinely quite interested in both cars. I think I still give Kia the leg up here. Um, but knowing that the Chevy is only a grand or two more uh, before any incentives, before dealership discounts, before, you know, GM inevitably gives everyone in Michigan uh, the friends and family discount. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the key is still the better choice. But the Chevy, you know, could make a decent argument for itself once the price dips below that of the Kia in the not too distant future. So we'll see. Now, speaking of weird comparisons, and it was one of those things I mentioned up at the top of the show, uh, is off-road vehicles. We've got a bevy that are coming, including the new Bronco. We've got the updated uh, Wrangler coming with the Moab model, and we have the all-new Defender finally releasing here in the U.S. very soon. I've talked about it on Twitter quite a bit, and I've maintained my decision for quite some time uh, that the Defender is the one I would choose, hands down, time after time, compared to the Jeep and the Bronco, even though I don't know a lot about the Bronco quite yet, uh, simply because it is more refined, uh, looks better, will probably drive better, uh, and will probably, well, I don't know if it'll necessarily be more uh, trouble-free, but I have a feeling it's going to be built 
a little bit better than the other two, uh, at least to start. Now, here's the weird thing. At least for the Jeep, uh, we're starting to see a lot of incentives get dropped on the Wrangler. Uh, that's how you know the market's getting bad. Uh, here in Michigan, they're already throwing $1,500 on the hood of Wranglers that previously they couldn't build enough of to keep up with demand. The Bronco, we have really no idea what it's going to be other than that they're going to be targeting the Wrangler directly. And for the Defender, well, we still don't really know a whole lot about it other than uh, it's coming. And we have some prices, at least for the four-door model, uh, but for the two-door Defender 90, they're only offering it in the full-out luxury trim to start. Uh, really, the key takeaway is if you want to spend fifty dollars to $55,000 on an off-road rugged vehicle, where is your money going to best be spent? Uh, historically speaking, the Defender has a lot going for it. It is one of the toughest, longest-lasting vehicles uh, on the road, at least in Europe. They were only sold here in the United States for a handful of years. Uh, this new Defender is the first new Defender in, well, pretty much ever. Uh, this new Defender is built on an all-new platform. It's using a lot of the engine, transmission, uh, and drivetrain technology that's been developed for the Disco and for the Range Rover uh, in the past few years. So it's going to have a lot of technological aids underneath it to help, you know, get grip, help you get out of sticky situations. It's still going to have, you know, locking differentials. It's going to have some slip detectors. It's going to be using everything all together in concert to be able to, well, get you through the mud, through the ruts, above, you know, tree roots, other things, and in the end, still keep you comfortable out of the elements uh, and really just be a much more luxurious experience compared to any other off-roader out there. On the flip side, you have the Wrangler, which is a known commodity. It's been around since 2015. Uh, this new Wrangler is pretty well-reviewed. It's really well-known what it can do off-road. The new Moab model basically takes the... Well, the sensibilities of what the uh, Rubicon is. The Rubicon is meant to be uh, a full-out off-roader. It's going to have the harsher riding suspension because it's trying to push the tires down. It's got the locking front and rear differentials. It's got the disconnectable sway bar. Uh, it's it's all together one of the best off-road machines you can buy for any kind of money available anywhere in the world. And, you know, in the end, I think with the Rubicon, you really do get what you pay for to a large extent uh, but at the same time you know you're still stuck with all of the problems that jeeps have they're square in shape which means that there's a ton of wind noise you've got those horrible off-road tires which means you've got a ton of tire noise there's really you know a lot of nice stuff on the dashboard in kind of your line of sight but when you start looking downward or you look straight up you see where costs are cut you see the refinement issues that you know make a lot of people balk at the idea of spending 50 plus thousand dollars on a Wrangler and it's why the Wrangler is consistently rated one of the poorest vehicles to purchase brand new by Consumer Reports and so many others because they are just an absolute mess when it comes to refinement and reliability. The big entrant is going to be of course the Bronco. Uh, we still don't really know a whole lot specifically about what the Bronco is, but we have a general idea. We talked about it last week to some extent. Uh, the new Bronco is going to be based on the same chassis as the current Ford Ranger. So it's going to be about the size of a mid-size pickup truck. Think uh, Wrangler once again. Uh, this Wrangler, or sorry, Ranger-based 
Bronco is going to have the same 2.3 liter turbocharged inline four. It's going to have the same 10 speed automatic. Uh, it'll likely have a independent front suspension with a uh, typical, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, you know, uh, not a multi-link setup in the rear. Uh, words are not coming to me. A uh, regular live axle in the back. So it's going to have probably uh, leaf springs in the back, just like the pickup truck. Overall, Ford is saying it's going to be a very uh, off-road capable machine. But in a lot of the photos and videos that we've seen of the vehicle testing off-road, uh, it has largely been in terms of sand and a little bit of dirt, but never really true rock crawling uh, off-road stuff. That seems to be Jeep's territory. Ford seems to want to take a page from what they've learned from the Raptor project and really focus in on what is a comfortable off-road capable pickup truck uh, based thing gonna be. And I think in the end what we're looking at is maybe what a version of the Ranger Raptor just with a convertible soft top uh, and an SUV body configuration is going to be here in North America. Not a bad thing, I don't think. Uh, the Ranger Raptor has been very well received in Europe. The regular Raptor itself, obviously very well received here in the U.S. Uh, overall, I think for 50 ish thousand dollars, again, the Ford is going to be a pretty solid buy compared to a Wrangler. This is going to be the first competitor the Wrangler has had directly in seemingly forever. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, again, we don't really know a whole lot about the Ford. We know it has a convertible top. We know it has doors that can be removed. It'll be available in a four-door or a two-door configuration, just like the Jeep. Uh, but what it really boils down to is I don't really think the uh, Ford or the Jeep are going to be able to hold a candle to the Land Rover dollar for dollar uh, in terms of overall refinement, usability. I think those are really going to be coming up shorthanded uh, in that regard. And I, I, the hard part, of course, is that, you know, you spend $50,000 on a Land Rover, in two or three years, it's going to be worth 30. Uh, the depreciation is going to be terrible on those vehicles. Uh, and that's the upside. The Ford and the Jeep are probably going to be worth a lot more in both the short term and the long term, simply because, well, that's the way things seem to work here in the United States. I would much rather buy a Defender simply because, well, it's what I want. Uh, it just seems to be more of a civilized, nice way to go off-road, get things done. You can still pop on down to the shops and fill it with, you know, things and you don't have to worry about the roof leaking and you don't have to have horrible highway road noise when you're out on the road. It just seems like a much better way to spend your money. That being said, we have to get it here in the United States first. I still have seen one and I sat in a 110 at the Chicago Auto Show, and I was very impressed overall. But I do want to see one of the versions with the uh, the six-seater configuration. I want to see it with the cloth seats. I want to see it with, you know, a lot of the really premium luxury features taken away. I want to see what a true off-road uh, focused one actually ends up being like. Because, I don't know, it just seems to me, if I had 50 grand today, tomorrow... Uh, that would be the one I would want to spend that kind of money on. So, again, we'll see what comes up down the road. Anyway, guys, uh, that pretty much wraps up what I was planning to talk about for this week's episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As more news comes around that's worth talking about, we'll 
post an episode once again. But in the meantime, I hope you're making good and safe decisions out there uh, with the whole COVID crisis going on. Uh, I feel like I wake up every day feeling like trash because either the sun isn't out or I remember that I'm not working. And then I remember that, well, everybody's in the same boat. Nobody really knows what's going on. Uh, It could be a lot worse. People could just be dropping dead left and right, and that's not quite happening yet. Uh, I think the one funny kind of weird thing that we're all kind of in this together on right now is that it's also the start of cold season, uh, cold and spring uh, allergy season. So as the trees continue to bud near me here in Michigan, I constantly am like, oh my God, I'm going to sneeze. I've got a nose that's going to start to drip. Uh, I'm, I'm going to die tomorrow. <laughs> and in the end, that's usually not the case. So yeah, we'll get through this. We'll keep posting episodes and, uh, you know, just make good decisions, wash your hands, and we'll all get through this. So anyway, guys, hope you have a good rest of your week. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.